0: Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. Well, this morning we're concluding a series we've been studying for a few weeks called Church Hurt. Has anybody been enjoying Church Hurt? Has this helped anybody? Amen. And of course, as we've said, you know, if anybody who's been at church for, any, uh, uh, for a decent amount of time has probably experienced church hurt. And we, of course, have defined church hurt as, you know, emotional distress or harm that's credited to the institu- institution of church. We know ultimately church hurt is really the result of being hurt by church people or church leadership. And so you may have been hurt because somebody cussed you out, somebody gossiped about you, somebody uh, uh, literally... Uh, just didn't value you the way they should. Somebody judged you for something you did in the past or maybe how you're living right now. You might have suffered church hurt because church leadership did some things that they shouldn't have done. Whatever the reason, church hurt hurts. And God does not want us to live our lives damaged because of something we experienced at church. So what we've been doing is, is helping you to heal from church hurt and then teaching you how to properly deal with it in the future. Because the bottom line is, anytime you get around a bunch of people, somebody is going to do something that that, that you won't like. There's going to be other opportunities to be offended or to be hurt. And so the first week, of course, we learned that church hurt is not God's fault, that God is not the one that causes evil things to happen to you. That really is not a church issue. It's a people issue. We learned the second week that it's time to heal. We talked about how to heal from church hurt. One of the things we mentioned, of course, was forgiving people and making a decision to not think about it and not talk about it anymore. And then last week we learned that it's time to grow. The God expects us to grow spiritually. and in some areas there are some areas that, that we can apply to this, to this particular part of our lives, and that God expects us to grow up out of being offended at God or His people. God expects us to grow up out of using the failings of others as excuses for our own. That God expects us to grow up enough to choose him over sin. And that God expects us to grow up to the place where we no longer bail on him when things happen that we don't understand or agree with or are simply unpopular. So when it's all said and done, we learn that it's time to grow past what happened and just simply be who God wants us to be and live the future that God wants us to live. Today, I want to go a little farther and just address the fact that often when people are dealing with church hurt, uh, they're reluctant to reengage with church. Uh, Maybe they're afraid of being hurt again, or they just want to protect themselves. Maybe they're questioning the place of church in their life. And so today, I want to look at what God thinks about your involvement in church. Are you ready for this? All right, so Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 is where we're going to start. And the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says, and let us be moving one another. Notice those two words, one another, because that's important. At all times to love and good works. Not giving up our meetings as is the way of some, but keeping one another strong in faith. And all the more because you see the day coming near. Of course, the day he's talking about is the day that Jesus returns. The message translation says it this way, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. So notice that Paul's actually, if you were to read back up a few scriptures, he's actually talking about the new life that followers of Jesus now have because Jesus died and rose again and they chose to believe in him. And so he actually gives about three let us's. In other words, now that we've got this new life, this is how we should live. And the third one is very simply this that we ought to be moving one another at all times to love and good works. If you were to go to the original Greek, because the New Testament comes from the Greek, you find the word there means it, it means to really ultimately to coach one another. That God is actually saying that as Christians, we should kind of be coaching each other to take our next steps in God. We ought to be coaching each other to love God more, to love one another more, to love those who don't necessarily believe in God yet more. And we ought to be coaching one another to act in love more, to do good, more good works for God and people. But then he says something that's really important and that he says, not giving up our meetings as is the way of some. We just finished mentioning how the message translation said, not avoiding worshiping together. The New Living Translation says, not neglecting our meeting together. And, of course, the meeting here that he's talking about is a Christian meeting for worship is what we call church. It's what happens on a Sunday morning. It's what happens in small groups when we come together to worship God and to hear from God. And so Paul is saying that a key to us coaching each other is that you're there when we come together? That it is hard to coach your brother or your sister if you're not there? You know, my wife is a basketball coach, and so she actually is coaching two AAU teams right now, my youngest daughter's 10-year-old team, and then my oldest daughter uh, basically 16-year-old team. So yesterday she coached six games. She was wiped out. But you know, she wouldn't be much of a coach if when it was time for practice, she never showed up. She couldn't help her team get better. She couldn't prepare them for their games if she was never there. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, we ought to be coaching each other, helping each other move closer to God and become more like God wants us to be. But you can't do that if you're skipping the times when we're supposed to come together. We are supposed to come together, as we just finished reading here, so that we can keep one another strong in faith so we can encourage each other, so that we can once again help each other to experience the future God wants us to have. And I can hear somebody hearing this and saying, well, you know, I'm kind of doing fine without church. You know, maybe you used to go and now you don't go anymore, and you're looking at your life and saying, I'm, I'm all right. And I, honestly, I think that one of the things we can learn from is one of the commercials that's been on television a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it's these I'm okay commercials. So, for example, there's this guy, and he's in the hospital, He's about to have surgery. His wife's sitting next to him, and the nurse is standing there, and he says, oh, what do you know about Dr. So-and-so? Is he, is he good? And the nurse says, well, he's okay.
1: And he's like, okay. And then the doctor comes walking in and says, guess who's been reinstated? And he says, you're nervous? And he's like,
0: yeah. And he said, yeah, me too, but we'll figure it out. I mean, oh, that's not good enough. There's a lot of, like, They have a number of commercials like that, and I, I've been laughing at them. And that's kind of what it's like when, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm I'm doing all right without church. That ain't good enough. What you're living right now is not good enough. You might be surviving. You might make it through the surgery, but you just might not. God's saying that's not my plan for you. And Paul was letting us know that this was an issue even then, that there were people in that time who, for whatever reason, thought that you could be a Christian and yet skip church not be a part of the church when it met on, on, on you know, Sundays and, and in small groups. And he was telling them, this is God's perspective. You're wrong. You are 100% wrong. You cannot get and you cannot do everything God wants you to do when you're not there, when God's people come together. That's what the Bible teaches. Of course, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 kind of continues to, to show us how important it is that we come together, Is not easily broken. What's he telling us here? You know, you can't do life alone and have success. At some point, you're going to need to have a real authentic relationship with other people who happen to believe in God because there's going to be moments where you're going to need to be rescued. And there's going to be moments where you're going to need somebody to step in and, and actually support you during a tough time. And there's going to be moments where you're going to need somebody to protect you from some things that may be coming against you. And you want to have great reward in your life. And all of that, you don't get any of that if you decide to separate yourself from God's people. You don't get that. You don't get the full results of it. You get an okay life instead of the life God wants you to have. What are you saying, Pastor? You need church. Just like your body needs air, to breathe. Your spirit needs community. You need it. In this day and age for t- in particular, if you are not connected to a church, you'll find that you will be going backwards in your relationship with God. You might think you're okay, but you'll find out where you are when things get rough. You know, I love basketball. I just mentioned my wife is the coach. And, and you, one of the things that happens Uh, And and my my oldest daughter, she's in high school basketball. She plays AAU. And and, and one of the things that she was a little upset about, she missed a game yesterday, but she did it for a friend. She was being a good person. But, you know, she was like, man, I'm not going to be ready for the next game. And I understood what she was saying. Because you can practice all you want on your own. You can even have practice with the team. But, you know, know, if you aren't really sharp, when you get in a game, you just might not be ready. And, and, and if, you, if you're skipping practice and then you try to show up in the game, you're definitely not going to be ready. And if you're skipping out on God's plan, you're skipping out on church, then when things get rough, you will not be ready. And that's how people get taken out. That's how you look at people and say, how did they end up here? How did this happen to their family? How did this happen to their uh, uh, family? How did they end up in prison? What, what is this? Well, they kept missing out on the times where God had his people come together. You need
1: church. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you need church. Turn to somebody else and tell them, you too, Jack. Really, a Christian without a church is an orphan.
0: It's an orphan. Because you are supposed to be in a family, and you've chosen to leave that family. In fact, I'll... I'll, uh, some the, one individual said it this way, there are many analogies for a Christian disconnected from a church. A football player without a team, a soldier without a platoon, a tuba player without an orchestra, a sheep without a flock, a child without a family. God does not want his children growing up in isolation from each other. So he created a spiritual family on earth for us. The Christian life has a corporate nature. We belong together. We need each other. We are connected, joined together as parts of one body. We are a family. You need church. That's how God created. He designed the Christian life to be lived when you are a part of a church family. Let's go a step farther. In Hebrews chapter 13, and verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that
1: has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Notice he's talking about leaders. And
0: here he's saying that you have leaders or you're supposed to have leaders whose example you follow as well as who's teaching you here. And if you go a step farther in verse 17, it reads, obey your spiritual leaders, and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So God's also saying you ought to submit to your leaders. So he's saying you ought to have spiritual leaders. He's saying you ought to follow their example. You ought to receive their teaching. And you ought to actually submit to their leadership. I know this is not a popular teaching. I get it. Because we're in a day and age where we don't want anybody to tell us anything. I'm grown. I do what I want, when I want. That's how we think. I'm a man. I get it. You know, if some, sometimes, you know, uh, I've had spiritual leadership say some things to me, and there's just a part of me that just, like, my back goes up like a cat. Like, you know, wait a minute. I'm, I'm grown, too. Who you think you are, you know? And I have to catch myself because... God's way is not my way. God's way is not your way. And so God is telling us a few really interesting things here. One of them is that he has made some people to be overseers over your life. There's someone that he has assigned to lead you.
1: Thank you for that one hallelujah, that one amen. And and that someone is is not a businessman. It's a preacher of the gospel. I can't stand
0: preachers. Well, you're going to have to change your viewpoint, Because God is saying, I actually assigned somebody to you. And notice that that person is not
1: somebody that you chose. You don't get to just say, all right, well, I like this preacher, so that's the one. No, and I won't take you
0: there for time's sake, but you could go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. That's something you can write down or put in your phone. And he talks about there how the Holy Ghost has made them overseers. No, it's not somebody that you've chosen. It's not, and it's not somebody that's chosen to be your overseer. They don't get to pick you either. It's kind of like your parents. You didn't choose your parents. You weren't sitting up in heaven like, well, God, I like that couple. Some of us might wish we could have done that. But you didn't get the And the same thing is true spiritually. There's somebody God is saying, that's the person I've called to lead you. That's the person that's supposed to be your, your spiritual leader. And, of course, if you look at a number of translations, they use the term pastoral leaders because many times the person that God has called to lead you is a pastor of a church. That, you know, that's true for really everybody to some degree. Now, when it comes to pastors, God may use somebody else like an evangelist or a prophet. But for for the vast majority of people, God has called you to serve under a particular pastor, which means to be a part of a particular church. See, you can't obey them that have the rule over you if no one has the rule over you. You can't follow spiritual leaders if you don't have spiritual leaders. That's one reason why churches have church membership. People, some people say, well, church membership is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. You may not, we, we may use a different term today because saying have the rule over you is a little weird in 2019. But what the Bible is teaching us is that, yeah, there is somebody, some church that you're supposed to be a part of where you are actually letting the pastor know you are responsible for me. And I'm going to do, I'm going to follow the teaching that you give. I'm going to follow your example. And I'll even accept your correction uh, because this is where God wants me. That's what you're doing when you say, I'm becoming a member of this church. And that's God's plan. The pastor, you know, preachers, you know, some, they're flawed. They got issues. Yes, they do. Trust me, I'm a preacher. I know. I got plenty of issues. I hear about my issues almost every week. I got some issues, and I struggle with that. You know, well, who am I to pastor people? Be, just be real with you. You know, I had those moments like, you know, God, you've you got to be somebody better.
1: And yet, if you look at the Bible, you'll find that God uses flawed people. He just does. You know, uh, think about Solomon. Solomon
0: was the wisest man in the world. He was the the richest man in the world. God made him that way. And this guy, at the end of his life, turns away from God for some women. Hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines, right? This is a, a flawed man. But who is the guy that God had write the best book in the Bible, the best marriage book ever written? Solomon. How can I read Song of Solomon and know that there's something good about, you know, that that he knows what he's talking about because God chose him to do it. God had him do it when he was
1: actually living right. But the fact that God chose him qualified him. You start looking at even like a Moses who
0: murdered somebody, like a David who actually committed adultery and, and had somebody murdered. And we can go on and on and on. You start looking at these people in the Bible, you can see that, man, they all had some issues. Now, God expected them to grow out of those issues, and and they did, and God expects any man or woman of God to live right before him now. But my point is that God's going to call somebody who is flawed to lead you. And he expects that just just because they're flawed doesn't mean that you will all of a sudden run away. You know, sometimes, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but sometimes, you know, when we see a minister fall, you know, a pastor or minister, they make a mistake. They do something they shouldn't have done. They get caught in some way or another. Some people just run immediately away from them. They start gossiping about them. They trend it on Twitter and, you know. And, and, and I've learned that just because somebody messed up doesn't necessarily mean that God is telling you to leave. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. But sometimes you got to pray and, and ask God, okay, how do you want me to handle this because this is the person you sent me to. And you'd be surprised how God may take a person like that and, and, and bring them through that until their best season ever. And you should have been a part of that. And, you know, you can see that in the Bible. There's a man by the name of John Mark, and he traveled with Paul and Barnabas when they first went on their first missionary trip. And after they seemed to have a rough time, he quit. He just went home. but like, I'm done. So, the next time Paul and Barnabas were going to go out, Paul said, He can't come with us. And Barnabas said, No, he, he should come. But Paul said, No, he can't. And they ended up getting a big argument about it, and they split over John Mark. And you have to argue, Well, you know, Paul was right. This guy, he quit on them. You know, you can't play games like that when you're on the mission field. You know, people can lose their lives. You can't bring him, he's not a ride or die.
1: Can anybody understand? You understand what I'm saying? You can't bring him. But do you know if you read later on that, that Paul
0: was able to uh, recognize that, he, that John Mark had value? He later on was saying, yeah, he's, he's my brother. He, he's, he's good. Uh, uh, God ended up using John Mark to write the book of Mark. So, yeah, he had a season where he messed up, but God kept working with him.
1: And he got to a place where he grew out of it, and he became somebody who's impacted the world. So I don't know how I got all off on that. Y'all listening too good. But the point is God will have you follow
0: a flawed leader. And, and, And he is serious about this issue of being with and under the leadership he's called you to. I was at a a church in Sacramento preaching for, really, uh, my dad's best friend, one of his best friends. And he and his wife were talking, and they had uh, something happen in their city where there were two guys that they knew, and they both had the same cancer hit them at the same time. And one of those guys was a part of their church, and another guy had been in another church that doesn't teach the Bible. And so the guy who was a part of their church survived. He lived. He was able to live his life. The other guy died. And they both said something. I never forgot it. They said, where you go to church is a matter of life and death. And when they said it, it clicked with me. I said, man, I'm going to use that the rest of my life because it's true. You, when you're where God wants you to be, you're kind of under the, the spout where the glory comes out, you know. It's like you're in the shower. You're under the, the shower head. God can do some things in your life when you're not. The water's still running but you're dry and you don't see the results that you want to see. And the fact of the matter is sometimes God will give the answers that you need to your leadership and not to you because you're supposed to be among your leadership and hear it from them. So if God, you know, you're saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know, on, 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 and, 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 and you know, you don't hear much, you go to church, and then the preacher says exactly what you're looking for. Oh, okay, I got it, God. But you don't go to church, and you still, you still wondering two months later. Well, God told you already that you're supposed to be a part of this church family. That's supposed to be your pastor. And so,
1: you know, when you obey, you get, what you, you get the blessing. See, when it's all said and done, your healing might be in your pastor's mouth.
0: Your wisdom might be in their mouth. Your your financial harvest might be in their mouth. What you need might be in the mouth of the person God has called to lead you. And when you're connected, you can get what you need. But when you disconnect yourself
1: for any reason,
0: you're cutting yourself off from everything that God wants to do in your life,
1: from having everything he wants to do in your life. Now, sometimes what we call church hurt, isn't church hurt. It's that we don't like being corrected. Thank you for the amens I already had. I kind of put them in my back pocket. Once again, as an adult, you
0: don't want people telling you when you're wrong. But the Bible teaches that pastors and spiritual leaders are supposed to tell people when they're missing. In fact, the Bible says that one of the reasons why we have it, these scriptures is for correction. There are going to be times where you're on the wrong road. You're going the wrong way. And and, and, and we used this example a couple of weeks ago. You, you ought to have leaders in your life putting up a sign saying, road out. You keep going. You're going off the cliff, man. Cliff, you can't, you can't keep doing this. you got to make an adjustment. And, and so, you know, there are instructions that are given to leaders about how to do this. Paul told Timothy, he said, rebuke not an elder. Don't rebuke an elder and treat him as a father. Do the same thing with your brothers. Do the same thing with your sisters. In other words, no leader should be barking at you and telling you off. But at the same time, they should tell you when you're missing it. And when you miss it, they ought to, to, you know, if there's there's consequences to that, then then there ought to be consequences. And that's that's Bible is to protect you. But sometimes what happens with people is that when the the, the pastor has to let them know, hey, that's not cool, then they have church hurt, and then they run from church. Where that correction might actually take their
1: life to the next level. Thank you for those two or three amen. I I, I saw yesterday I was on on
0: Facebook, and um, I know for the younger folk, you're like, what's Facebook? I don't know what that is. I don't use Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. But I was on Facebook. And I was bored. You know, I don't remember what I was doing. I think I, had, I preached yesterday morning at Cass Tech, So I'm sitting at home, kind of a little tired, just kind of messing around. And I, I came across this animal video. Anybody ever watch these animal videos? I hate to say that I do. I don't watch the kitten ones. I watch the ones where animals kill other animals. I just, like a lion eats somebody. I just, I'm fascinated. Anyway, y'all got to pray for me. So so here's this, there's this, there's this deer, right? And this is mother deer. And then there's this little deer. And it's hanging around the mama, and then it decides to wander off. So, you know, it leaves mama, and it's going everywhere, and it's messing around, and, you know, way over here like a dummy. And here comes this python, <laughs> you know, and it's coming after the deer. And I'm like, oh, man, you want to yell at the deer, go home, get back to mama. He's just sitting there eating. Python grabs him, kills him, wraps himself around him. Then a lion comes along, sees the python, what he, what he grabbed and takes it from the python. They have a fight, and the lion actually eats the deer. All that happened because the deer left mama.
1: This is what happens to people, Christians, all the time. They got a little correction. Somebody told them, this is not good. This is not, not,
0: not going to fly. You need to make an adjustment. And they go wandering off, and the python gets them. They get hit in this way, hit in that way. And sometimes they're able to limp their way home. Sometimes they're not. Because the crazy thing about this world is your first mistake could be your last mistake. You can't play around. So God says, hey, I've given you some spiritual leaders. You need to connect yourself there, and you need to stay there. There's another scripture that comes to mind in James chapter 5 where the Bible talks about, is there any sick among you? Then he says, call for the elders of the church, and they'll anoint you and pray for you, and you'll be healed in Jesus' name. You can't call for the elders of your church if you aren't a member of a church, right? The members of FX Church, they can call us, and I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I'm, I'm doing counseling right now. I'm doing some other things. If something happens, we're, try, we're showing up for you. But if we just get a call from some, anybody, we don't always show up. We can't because we've got to take care of our members. They're my responsibility. They're our responsibility. As we read earlier, I'm going to answer to God about
1: y'all i not going to answer to God about somebody that said, well, I came a few times. Not necessarily. And so, you know, but
0: so you can't get all the benefits that you're supposed to get being connected with a church family until you do what he said and actually have somebody that you're connected to, that you're under, that you're actually be a part of a church family. All right, Luke chapter 13. I have completely destroyed my actual sermon. Um, I, I want to show you all a picture, though. Uh, Y'all can help me with this, uh, of somebody, of a sheep that left the shepherd. And uh, so this sheep was found after wandering off for six years. He carried extra weight from not having a shepherd to to care for him. It only took 20 minutes for the shepherd to shave off the extra weight that he picked up in six years of not having a shepherd. So it's time to drop the weight, the guilt, and the shame, and don't
1: bear your burdens alone and just simply get back. Church, That is one crazy-looking sheep, isn't it?
0: God don't want that to be any of us. All right, so Luke chapter 13.
1: I have destroyed this message, so I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to say next year. You know what? Let's just go to Ephesians chapter 4 because I, we'll go there. Maybe we'll come back to Luke 13. Ephesians chapter 4.
0: Because I can hear people saying, okay, pastor, I heard you. God uh, God wants us to not skip church. He wants us to actually be a member of a church, actually be a part of what's going on. Uh, but, you know, church hurt. Isn't that the name of the series? Right? Sometimes pastors hurt you. Sometimes Christians hurt you. You know, what about that? What about the fact that, you know, there's always some mess going on in a church? Well, Ephesians 4 verse 2, he's talking about church and he's telling us to live our lives in a way that's consistent with what what God said. In fact, if you're at the back of the verse 1, he said, if if you talk the talk, walk the walk. Then he says, with all gentle and quiet behavior,
1: taking whatever comes, putting up with one another in love. Not my favorite scripture. Put up with one another. One other translation
0: says, making allowances for each other's faults because you love one another. So God is telling us here, hey, this is part of the Christian life. There are going to be times where other Christians are going to get on your nerves, your last nerve. There are going to be times when somebody says something they shouldn't say. And a way they shouldn't say it. Somebody does something they shouldn't do, and they way in a way they shouldn't do it. The bottom line is there will always be the opportunity for church hurt because churches
1: are full of people. And people mess up. One guy said, he said, we're all rough drafts of
0: what of the people we are becoming. I'm still a rough draft. You still a rough draft.
1: Rough drafts have issues, right? You don't turn in the rough draft. Church is messy. Turn not even tell them church is messy. That's a revelation for some folk. Church is supposed to be perfect. No, it's not. It's perfect when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, you ain't got to put up with nothing. Everybody going to be happy and loving Jesus and loving each other and Nobody going to be
0: cussing each other out, talking about each other, none of that. But on earth, and it's not just church, it's everything. It's messy because people are messy. Now, sure, at church, we should do better than anywhere else. And honestly, I've been in church my whole life, okay? Preacher's kid. I grew up in a large church. I pastored. This is my fourth church that I pastored. Never knew that was going to happen. So I've been around church, and I can tell you, we do do better than outside the church. The stuff we complain about in church, we, a lot of us wouldn't even bother to complain about it if that was happening in the workplace, because that's just how people are, right? That's just people. We come to church, and it's like, oh, my God, he cussed at me. Well, he shouldn't have, but why don't you go to work for a few minutes? You might learn some cuss words you didn't even know. We do better at church. But the bottom line is church is messy, and so God is saying here that you need to learn to put up with each other in love. What does that mean, in love? That means that I I don't cuss you out because you cuss me out. I don't get revenge because of what you did. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 reads, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender hearted and keep a humble attitude. Get this: don't repay evil for evil. don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with the blessing that is what God has called you to do, and He will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Notice how this ends. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. We actually saw that in Ephesians 4 where he said, take care to keep the harmony of the spirit and the yoke of peace. God's goal is that even when somebody does you wrong, that you do what it takes for there to be peace. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, as much as lieth in you, as much as you can control, be at peace with all men. God's saying there's a harmony that's supposed to be among God's people. There's a harmony that's supposed to be in a church. And so what I want you to do is that even when somebody does you wrong, make sure that you love, you forgive, you still give. You, you act like Jesus so that you can still keep that peace in the church. Does that doesn't mean not deal with it. No, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But notice the goal, though, is that I don't add to the mess. The goal is I try to find a way to, to work this out because we want to have peace. Because when we're at peace, then we can, we can you know, we can, our lives can be what God wants us to be, and we can have the kind of impact we're supposed to have as a church. But God knows that there will be times when we'll get on each other's nerves. You know, he knows that. He, you know, it's like when you're on the, on the Internet. And, you know, you're trying to read an article and then something pop up, pops up. Anybody hate pop-ups? Man, it gets on my nerves. There's some websites, they're so bad, I'm like, I'll never go back, right? I'll just find another way. I'm trying to read an article and something pop up. Buy this for $5. No. Click. Do you want to subscribe to this newspaper? No. Click. Why would I do that? And that's what happens. You'll be trying to live your life and here's a pop-up. Some knucklehead talking about you at church. Here's a pop-up. Your pastor had a bad day and said something away that he probably shouldn't have. And maybe
1: they'll come back later and say, my fault. Maybe they'll forget. Pop-up. Here's a pop-up. On the way to church, you and your wife get into a fight. Y'all laughing because y'all have been there. It's always pop-ups. What
0: do I do? Do I just sit there and read it and click on it, or do I hit the X in the corner and close it out? You hit the X, and that's what God's saying. When stuff pops up, you hit the X. You find a way to just kind of, if you got to walk away for a moment, get your stuff together and come back and give the God response. Just forgive, give people the benefit of the doubt, just kind of put up with this. just the way they are right now, they're still developing, and keep on living your life. That's what God's saying. Once again, get, ultimately, though, get from this, that God knows that this is going to happen, and he does not view those moments where people do you wrong as an excuse to run away from his people or him.
1: Instead of saying, hey, when they do you wrong, run away. He says, when they do you wrong, put up with it.
0: Keep the harmony that you're supposed to have. Make sure you you, you have peace there. But he doesn't say run away. He doesn't say run away and say, oh, those church people are hypocrites. Oh, you know, church, church, you know, he's like, no, you put up with it in love, which means you can do it. It also means that God believes, get this, that you're better off in a church where somebody might hurt you from time
1: to time than out of church. I don't agree with that. You're not God. He knows better. And once again, it's not his goal for you to be
0: hurt. His goal is for you to come to church and and. Rescue when you need it, have support when you need it, and get reward together with everybody, and get God's message when you need it, and, and experience the presence of God and all the great things that happen. But he knows that there is someone called the enemy, Satan. And sometimes he seems to slither his way in the church, and he seems to influence people into saying and doing things they shouldn't do. And he's letting you know, don't let Satan win. His whole goal in attacking you through church people or a church is to get you away from God. Don't give him the satisfaction. Don't give him the satisfaction of getting away from God's plan either, which is you
1: being a part of a church family. So I want to give you some rules for church life based on what we just said. And I'm just going to give these to
0: you and then I'll be done. Y'all get anything out of this? You need church. And I, I, one of the things I skipped was that if you were to look at the Bible and, and, and the Gospels and the Epistles and even the Old Testament, how many miracles happened to people at church? There was a woman in Luke 13. She came to church like this. She had been like this for 18 years. But you know what? She came to church anyway. And Jesus happened to be preaching. And he stopped the message and said, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And she was healed instantly. Begin to praise God. There's a guy where he, the Bible says he was crippled in his feet, meaning he couldn't walk. He couldn't, probably couldn't stand. And he came to where Paul was preaching. And Paul's preaching and looks at him and sees the man has faith all of a sudden because he's been hearing God's word. He's believed it. He says, get up on your feet. The man jumps up and he's healed. There's places all throughout the the Old Testament where people came together in in a setting like this, and God's presence just rolled in the room. And God did amazing things. And most of us who have been in church, we also could easily lift off moment after moment where God did something. When I came together with his people in a a church setting, a, a Sunday morning or a small group setting. We have experienced miracle after miracle after miracle, and that is so much more. It's so much greater than whatever hurt we've had. Can anybody say you've experienced some great things at church, that God's done some amazing things in your life? Look at all those hands. You know, and sometimes it's just just being encouraged when you need it. You're about to jump off the cliff, and when you came out of church, you were like, okay, I can live another day. (laughs) I mean, God does some amazing, uh, amazing things for us. So we need to stay connected. We just got to figure out how to do it so that we're not in any way derailed by church hurts. Let me give you these rules real quickly. Number one rule for church life is that you got to give your life to it. Give your life to it. Sell out to it. I've kind of been talking about this, but I want to read to you what Acts 2.42 says. It says, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, Notice that phrase, committed themselves. The life together, what's that? Christianity. He says a life, what? Together. The common meal and the prayers. And in Acts 5.42, it says, every day they were in the temple and homes teaching and preaching Christ Jesus, not letting up for a minute. And so God is showing us here that, you know, you got you to sell out to it. You can't half do this and get the results. And I, I like what uh, Craig Rochelle said. He says, when you are planted, the church is not a destination. It's part of your identity and who you are. And that really is what you should be. That's, that should be true of your life. Number two, believe the best of people. Believe the best of people. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 tells us love. We learned that we ought to put up with people in love. Well, love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Get this is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt. Love doesn't assume that you did this for all awful, evil reasons. Love assumes that this is not really what you meant. You must have had a bad day. You know, love believes the best, even though it may not even be true. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt. And you know what? We always want the benefit of the doubt. We look at our actions through intentions. We look at other people's actions through results. We ought to learn to look at other people's intentions as well and at least believe the best of those people. So you've got to remember, as we said earlier, we're all rough drafts of the people we are becoming. And So when people, you know, say things, do things, maybe you need to just kind of take a step back and just say, you know what, I'm 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 going to give them a pass there.
1: I don't think that's really what they're trying to do. Believe the best of people. Number three, don't be touchy.
0: You know, you know somebody that don't like to be touched. You know they can't stand. You know somebody sitting next to you on on, on a on a bus, and you like happen to touch their leg, and they're like, "You would be like, man, do I stink?" And you know you can't be that way when it comes to life in church either. First Corinthians thirteen, once again talking about love, says. It's not conceited, arrogant and inflated with pride, is not rude and unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's loving us, does not insist on his own right or his own way, for it's not self-seeking. That's all good stuff. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Love's not touchy. In other words, it doesn't quickly become
1: irritated or angry. It doesn't quickly just get upset and, you know, I got a problem. And... That's a maturity issue, and having that issue can cost you. There was a time
0: in 1 Samuel 1 where Hannah was believing God for her son, so she's sitting in church, and she's just kind of praying to God. She's she's praying from her heart. She's not actually saying
1: words, and the preacher walks up and says, did you come to church drunk? She could have been offended. What? What do you mean?
0: Now, come to church. What's wrong with you? She could have went off. But she was like, no, 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 I'm just praying to God. And she was able to get her son. His name was Samuel. There was a woman that came to Jesus, and she wanted Jesus to heal her daughter. And she's saying, Jesus, come heal my daughter. And Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Called her a dog. Now, of course, he was making a spiritual point, so don't run out of here calling somebody a dog and saying, I'm just acting like Jesus. No. But the point is, in that moment, Jesus just called you a dog. But instead of rolling her neck, snapping her fingers, posting about it, she said, yes, Lord, I'm a dog. But even dogs get the crumbs. He said, man, you have great faith. Your daughter is healed. You can't afford to be touchy. At some point, you got to grow up beyond, you know, reacting so quick. You're almost on the lookout for somebody to do something wrong to you. Right? You walk into church like what they going to say,
1: what they going to do. I know that preacher going to say something
0: about this. You, you know,
1: how can you live life like that?
0: You know, there, there's an animal called a, a, a crow, and most of us know crows. Crows are pesty, and they like to mess with eagles. You know, eagles are, you know, eagles, they're, they're majestic. But if you see an eagle flying, sometimes crows come behind eagles, and they just mess with them because eagles, because they're so big, it's hard for them to turn. So a crow can turn quickly. So that crow will just keep messing with that ego, keep messing with that eagle. And you know what the ego eventually does? It just stretches its wings out and goes higher. And it just keeps going so high the crow can't breathe there anymore. And it just keeps living its life. And you've got to be an ego. And when people start messing up and start messing with you, just stretch your wings out and just go higher. Ignore it and just keep living the life God has for you. Number four, I like one, I will say this. Creflo Dollar says this, because I refuse to give up my peace for someone else's drama.
1: I think that's good.
0: Number four, forgive quickly and easily. Forgive quickly and easily. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Get this. Tenderhearted hearted instead of hard-hearted. I'll never forgive you. It is no tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There's multiple cases where Jesus was asked, "How many times do I forgive my brother for the same thing?" You know, and Paul, Paul excuse me, Peter actually said, "You know, seven times," and then Jesus said, "Till seventy times seven. and he wasn't saying count to 490, and on the 491st, you have a right. What's that? What's that movie where everybody gets to kill everybody after midnight? You know, yes, the purge. He's not telling you have a right to a purge after number 491. His idea is no matter what they do, you ought to forgive them every single time. doesn't mean there aren't consequences or actions, but you can't carry that stuff in your heart. Forgive them. Forgive them even if they don't ask for it. Number five, and this one is very important. Speak up when you've been wrong. Speak up when you've been wrong. The Bible says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she
1: won't accept the church's decision, treat the person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. There's another scripture we won't read in Matthew where it says, if you're about to
0: give an offering and then you remember that your brother has something against you, don't give it yet. Go find your brother, reconcile that, make that right, and then come give your offering." what's he trying to tell us here? God does not like unresolved issues between his people. And part of the reason we have church hurt is because we've never actually addressed it. People are mad at you or you're mad at people and they don't know. I had a case like this. One of them where I did something wrong and one of them where I didn't. One of them, this guy called me. He reached out to me actually through, uh, I think, Facebook a couple of years ago, and he was like, you know, he was, he was part of my church. He was a young guy. I had done his premarital counseling, all this stuff. I didn't even know he was mad at me. And he said, say, Pastor, man, I, 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 I've been upset with you because when my father died, you know, you really didn't step up like I really thought you would. I needed you to, and I've been struggling with that ever since. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like, man, and, and I realized what happened. And what had happened was I had just had a knee injury playing basketball. I had just had my very first surgery. And I literally could not walk. I was literally sitting at home with something sticking in my knee. So when his father passed, I asked my wife to go to his house. And she did along with some other ministers minister to him. And then I let the other ministers handle it because I was dealing with this knee surgery. And, you know, when you're dealing with surgery for the first time, you ain't thinking about nothing. else, Right? My head is like, you know, I'm trying to get through this mess. You know, this is not cool. They never tell you how hard it is. Right? They're always like, oh, this is an easy surgery. It's going, You'll be fine in a day. And then like three months later, you're like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> you know, they don't always take, so I'm, I'm dealing with this. And I just did not. He's right. I should have done more. So I had to say to him, you know what, I'm so sorry. I was so, you know, caught up in what I was going through that I didn't step up like I should. I had another guy don't call me and he you know, reached out to me. He was mad at me because of some other situation where I actually did everything I could to help him. And eventually just left it like, all right, this is what you got to do, bro. And he didn't do it. And he was mad at me. Well, you know, I didn't jump on him and say, what are you talking about? You've lost your mind. I just kind of let it be and moved on. He was wrong. The point is at least both of them came to me. And that's God's, God's system is not to walk around holding something against somebody. You should approach them and let them know what's going on. Just do it the right way. Because you can say the right thing the wrong way and create even more damage. This is also true in marriage. It is not biblical to walk around giving somebody the quiet treatment, the silent treatment, expecting them to figure out why you mad at them. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I'm trying to finish the message, but I just felt so led to say that right now. Somebody, somebody's husband or wife is saying, hallelujah, I'm so glad I came to church. Because they just, that was what we needed. My deliverance was in your mouth, Pastor. That ain't right. Have this issue
1: and we don't talk. Now, here's the other side of it because here's another truth. Very likely at some point you will be the cause of church hurt. You may not mean to. Maybe you did. But it's most likely that at some point, somebody can point at you and say, you did this to me. And you have to do
0: what the Bible says in James chapter 1, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to read. You've got to be somebody that's humble enough to hear what they have to say, to not get angry immediately and defensive, and be quick to actually say, I'm sorry. So You can have peace. That's what I try to do in those cases. So, you got to make a point of speaking up when you're wrong, and when people speak up to you, handle it correctly. Number six is very simply, restore those that have messed up. I won't talk about that too much because of, of time, but the bottom line is the Bible tells us that when somebody does mess up, we ought to restore them, save our critical comments for ourselves, because we might be needing forgiveness ourselves pretty soon. So, when somebody does mess up, Just remember that you ought to restore them, not talk about them, not criticize them, not be so uh, awful and really awful to them. And I do want to read this story to you. A man went to church and he forgot to switch off his phone and it rang in the church accidentally during prayer. The pastor scolded him. The worshipers admonished him after prayer for interrupting the silence And his wife kept on lecturing him on his carelessness all the way home. One could see the shame, embarrassment, and humiliation on his face. And after all this, he never stepped foot in the church again. That evening, he went to a bar. He was still nervous and trembling. He spilled his drink on the table by accident. The waiter apologized and gave him a napkin to clean himself. The janitor mopped the floor. The female manager offered him a complimentary drink. She also gave him a huge hug and a peck saying, don't worry, man, who doesn't make mistakes? He has not stopped going to that bar since then. Sometimes our attitude as believers drives souls to hell. You can make a difference by how you treat people, especially when they make mistakes. I ain't got to say nothing else about that point.
1: And the last point is very simply this, remember, it's not about you.
0: I won't read the scripture to you, but Luke 15 talks about how Jesus left the 99 sheep to find the one that was lost. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about everything he went through for God. He talks about the fact that he had been beaten with 39 stripes five times, beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked three times, stoned one time. He faced all kinds of dangers, all because he was trying to reach people far from God. And when it's all said and done, I like what Christine Kane said.
1: This is a question we got to ask ourselves. Are you willing to give up your victimhood status? Because when it's all said and done, if you happen to be somebody that's
0: following Jesus, you're already going to heaven. But how many of these people out here are not? How many of these people need you to be connected with a platoon, a church family, so that together you can reach them? Because the number one purpose of church and of this church is to reach people who are far from God. We're here to go reach that woman who was caught in adultery. We're here to go reach that guy who's possessed with demons. We're here to to catch them, to help the Mary Magdalene's and to, to help the prodigal son's. We as a church, not the pastor, not an organization, we as a people are here to reach people who are far from God and help them experience the future God has for them. So as long as hell is a real place, our priority can't just be our comfort or our feelings. Our priority has to be reaching them. At some point, we got to grow up to the place where even if we are like Paul and I'm beaten and I'm whipped and I'm stoned, I'm going to stand back up again and I'm going to do everything God told me to do because I got family members, I got friends, I got loved ones who I do not want to go to hell. I got to help them go to heaven. So when it's all said and done, we need to make room for church in our lives. We need to become a part of our church family We need to be involved every time we come together in a setting like this or in a small group because that's church as well. And We make room for God. God can do some great things through and for us. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.